Are we doing this? Really? Wait for it. Are we doing this? Wait for it. Ow! What the fuck? WTF. And it's also, eh, what the fuck? What's wrong with me? It's time for WTF. What the fuck? With Mark Marin. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuckologists? What the fuck, Ricans? What the fuckstables? Whatever the fuck you want to call yourselves. Okay. All right. I can't get hung up on that. All right. Yeah. Hold on. Pow. Woo. Yeah. Just shit my pants. Just coffee.coop. Available at WTFpod.com. Good for the holidays. Something's going to have to get you through those holidays. I am Mark Marin. This is WTF. It is finally a lovely day in Los Angeles. I mean, I'm not complaining, but I did not talk to you about what happened here last Thursday night. Holy shit. It was almost apocalyptic in my mind because it affected me directly and it was scary. That translates to apocalyptic. The end of the world can easily equal the end of me because for most practical purposes, that means it's all over for everyone. As far as I'm concerned. Maybe it's a selfish way to view the apocalypse, but uh, it's more practical, isn't it? Less, it's less mythic, less panic-driven, more practical. Anyways, before I get into that, Jillian Lauren, my neighbor and author and wife of the bass player of Weezer, is on the show. She's written two books, her new one's out. Uh, nice chat, interesting, member of a harem, interesting past, interesting books. So we'll talk to her in a second. So fuck, I, I, you know, I got here on Monday, I didn't really address the winds. I don't know who this Santa Ana woman is, but I mean, just fucking leave us alone already. I mean, that was nasty. I mean, I've been through these winds during the wind season. We actually have wind season. We don't have winter, fall, spring, or summer here, really. We have wind, uh, really hot, and rain. That's it. We go by uh, styles of uh, types of precipitation, not seasons in Los Angeles. But these winds, I mean, I know they say it's going to get windy. And I think it was last Thursday, last Thursday night, the wind started early in the evening. And I'm like, all right, this Santa Ana time it gets windy. It gets a little intense. No problem. I get into bed with the girl. And then around midnight, 1230, These winds were howling. I have never heard winds like this before. I heard animals flying outside of my window. I didn't know what I was hearing. I didn't know if my house would survive. I didn't know what the hell was going on. They charted these winds at like 100 miles, less than a mile away from here. I guess being up on this little hill that I'm on did not help things. But there was shit flying around. There was it, It had that haunted, horrible sound of... Something much worse is going to happen any second. I couldn't believe it. The The power was going on and off. It was impossible to sleep because of the howling wind was so menacing. I was concerned about my cat. I was concerned about my windows. I didn't know what the fuck was going on. I kept getting up and because what happened, like every time the power went off, the uh, antique uh, regular phone line I have in the um, living room kept resetting itself. With a voice like to, you know, if you want to reset the phone or whatever the fuck it was saying, noises were happening. The cats were freaking out and I thought it was over. I didn't know what the hell was going on. 
I never had any. I just didn't know when the power goes out and the winds are that loud. Part of you thinks like, are, how how long before uh, civilization just breaks down? Are people going to start looting? Uh, is my car okay, or has that already been taken? Are the neighbors? When do I eat my cats? What's going to happen? The power goes out. It was awful. I, I mean, obviously there are people that go through worse things, but this was awful because it leads to a lot of deep questions about yourself. What do I have water? What do we have candles? Do we have a radio that runs on batteries? Should I just go to my car and listen to the radio? Since when is the radio the all important thing? I didn't have water. I mean, I had some in the fridge. I had a flashlight. I don't have any canned foods. I don't have a bunker. I got the garage, but it's not secured. If zombies or starving neighbors or whoever was going to take charge of Los Angeles wanted to get me, it wouldn't take much to to destroy the doors of my garage. I was paralyzed with fear and in a very core way because then the, the, the power was off the next day. You wake up, the power's off. When's that going to come on? Then you look outside, the entire, you look on the mountains around us, all the neighborhood, everywhere, dead, off. The tree down the street, a hundred year old tree, I'm just estimating, it's old and big, just toppled over, just cracked and toppled over onto my neighbor Trisha's yard. Could it, it could have been on her house. Across the street, a large branch of a tree dropped right on my neighbor's car. We all woke up to this shit. I wake up. My fence lost all its teeth. It was just a fucked up mouth. My fence, every it was all over the place. Just destroyed. The tree down the, uh, down the hill in my yard lost an entire half of itself. The umbrellas out, out on the deck that were closed, one of them was ripped off of its thing this was a closed umbrella. It was ripped off, sucked up. The top of it, the thing that held it on, was unscrewed by the wind. Are you going to tell me? It felt like that. It felt like Los Angeles was under attack by ghosts. It was, it was scary. Everything was fucked up. Shit all over the place. Garbage. Plants destroyed. Fences destroyed. Trees destroyed. Cars destroyed. What a mess. Then the power's off. What have I got? I got to get candles. All the food's going bad. I'm starting to wonder whether I need one of them hand crank radios. The power was off for two days. And you really start to wonder, when does this shit hit the fan? When does when do people get out of control? These are deep fears. But really the deepest fear when you realize that nature is so much more powerful than we are. And that you have no control over it whatsoever. And we're all very vulnerable and fragile. And you just look at people. Yeah, our neighbors came together. We were helping each other clean up. Make, people were like, how'd you make coffee? I don't know. The gas is still on. You boil water. Really? Are we that lost as a people? But really, when you're in that and you wonder about things breaking down, you wonder or you realize just how fragile it all is. In those moments where I was sitting in my house, with a candle, no sounds, wondering if the winds were going to pick up again, not knowing when my power would come on, alone with my girl, the two of us, the the feelings that come. I mean, really, I got to be honest with you. What, what I found myself asking at that moment when everything was just dark, 
I took a look inside myself and I and I and I said how long is the Wi-Fi going to be off? Really, how long is it going to be off? Because I, I can't, it's been a day and a half. I, can't, I, I mean, I don't know what, what people think I am or what I'm made of, but I mean, when, when, are they gonna, when, when can I get Wi-Fi? You know, I can't even charge my phone here. Yep, big questions. I'm not in the best way. I mean, I'm really not. I got a couple of emails and I, I'm not happy about what some days are better than others, people. I mean, I got a beautiful email subject line. The revolution will not be fetishized. I enjoyed the recent show with Anthony Bourdain and appreciated your intro comments about cast iron. Indeed, it's worth spreading the gospel on that one for a whole lot of reasons that neither you nor I have the time to elucidate. For example, the simplicity of cast iron is an antidote to the present diseased addiction to convenience that defines our current culture. But that's neither here nor there. You mentioned something in there about how to care for cast iron. Go easy on those pans and go, therefore, easy on yourself. Don't fetishize them. It's not about perfection of cast iron care, but the perfection of the pan itself. Obsess too much on seasoning them to a superlative sheen and you miss their beauty which is simplicity and its concomitant durability. What makes them worthy of the kind of attention you just pay them on your show is the fact that their care is as simple as their construction. Just keep them far away from soap. That's it. Don't fuss around with all that other bullshit, seasoning them in a hot oven and turning your apartment into practice room for the local fire academy. Forget all that other stuff. Clean them with hot water. Occasionally, the luster will be stripped, but that's just natural salts and juices doing their natural thing on a natural material. As long as you keep soap away from that shit, the shine will return by the end of the next cooking cycle. So what if it's not perfect all the time? That's the way it and we are supposed to be. Very nice. Be well, and thanks for continuing to serve up the goods with your show, Mike. Thank you, Mike. Lovely email. Poetic, thoughtful, deep, unlike this one. Subject line, episode 230 sucked, all caps, three punctuation marks. Seriously, Mark, spelled with a K. Episode 230 with Dr. Steven Danziger, really, all caps, four question marks. That episode should have been called, who cares episode. I was expecting to be entertained, to be amused, to laugh. But all I could think of while listening to it was, quote, is it over yet? Unquote. Stick to interviewing comedians, please. All caps spelled with three E's, a Z and an E, three exclamation points. If I want to listen to Dr. Phil and other people's problems, I'll watch Dr. Phil or listen to Dr. Ruth. Is she even still alive? Smarten the fuck up. I usually love your podcast, Mark, with a K, and I actually look forward to listening to them while walking my dog, dot, dot, dot. I shit my pants on this episode in not all caps, in a good way. Two exclamation points. Disheartened, comma, Alita. Look, I try to read all your emails, and I didn't need to read this one, so I wrote back thoughtfully, fuck off. Don't listen if you don't like an episode. That episode got more positive email than almost any show I've done. Actually, yours is the only shitty cunty one. Just don't listen. Don't dump your undealt with shit in my inbox and don't tell me what to do with my show. Fuck you and your dog, Marin. Was that the wrong way to approach that? 
I, you know, it's sporadic now. Isn't that weird? That dog just barked right when I mentioned fuck your dog. I, I go through the emails as efficiently as possible. Some of you get emails back from me. I appreciate all of them. Some of them will be read on the show. Uh, I still am in it, but there's a lot more these days, and, and I'm certainly grateful for that, but it's very hard for me to get to all of them. But I appreciate that email, and uh, I, I'm not sure I'm sorry for what I sent back. All right. One other thing before we go to Jillian. Uh, my buddy Matt Graham, who will be a guest on this show, is a very interesting uh intense uh, complicated dude i started with him uh he got out of comedy he went into professional scrabble playing maybe you've read about him in that book about the scrabble players or seen him in the documentary he's done some poker playing he's done a lot of things he's incredibly brilliant and and and, and definitely intense his episode's coming up in a bit but he's going to be performing in new york city he's going to be trying to get back into comedy and doing a one-man show this is at 7 30 p.m at the kimball studio that's at 78 Fifth Avenue, 10th floor. I don't know what... You, I, this guy was a, a genius. He may still be a genius, uh, but if you want to go see something interesting, 7.30 p.m. in New York City, 78 Fifth Avenue, 10th floor, Kimball Studio, Thursday, December 9th. All right, let's talk to Jillian. I have your books. They were not sent to me quickly enough for me to read both of them. Is that going to upset you? No, not at all. But I know you're, uh, you have, uh, I, I, um, I was excited to talk to you for a couple of reasons because I have a, a fascination and I'm obviously not alone with the sex industry sometimes. Uh-huh. And, uh, and you're not alone in this. No, it seems to do very well, the yeah, sex industry. be comforted. <laughs> in general, it doesn't seem to be hurting that particular industry. But you come, like, I'm from New Jersey. You really grew up in New Jersey? I grew up in Jersey. Where in Jersey are you from? Uh, my mother was from Pompton Lakes, which is by Wayne. Uh-huh. Do you know that? Um, Vaguely. I mean, there are like 80 million billion towns in New Jersey. Have you found I that? It's no, so, I know. It's so weird. And I always um, think, like, how can you not know where it is? But no one knows where it is. I like, do know uh, where Wayne is, though. Bergen um, County, I think. It's in Bergen County. Yeah, I'm from Essex County. I'm from Livingston, which is near That's not the far. Oranges. It's not far. Yeah. The, uh, right. Livingston. My I have uh, my uh, cousins and uncle live in Orange, one of the Oranges. Yeah. So suburban Jersey. I am a nice Jewish girl from I suburban knew it. New Jersey. I knew you were Jewish. You I know am. how I knew you were Jewish? Because your second fake name is Lauren. <laughs> well, it's my middle name. It's my real <laughs> middle name. And I'm like, only Jews call their kids Lauren. Right. Wow. What's your real? Do you want to tell me your real name? My real last yeah. name? Like my Jewish yes. last name? No, I won't. Come on. No, and you know why I won't? Is it a Berg? Is it a Steen? Is it a... It's not a Berg or a Steen. It's one of those sort of bastardized Russian, like oh, yeah? chop short Russian names. Uh-huh. But it's all it's very unusual, and I try not to use my parents' name. Well, you don't want to drag them into it? Well, they're sort of, I mean, they're into it anyway, because I've been on television, and you know, people recognize. No, certainly so they, not. So pe- oh, really, is there tension? There's tension, Yeah. Okay, so your your fame and your uh, stories did not uh, thrill them. Well, they knew about it. They knew about all of it. What didn't thrill them, and I don't know if you had this experience, um, coming from a similar background, is that I talked about it. Yeah. 
You know, like that's just not you don't write tell all memoirs. You know, I mean, maybe you go and do all kinds of weird black sheep, you yeah, know, yeah, crazy, yeah, right. get involved in some international prostitution thing. Sure, that happens with a lot of Jewish girls. <laughs> I mean, almost everyone I've met that dealt with the international well, you prostitution. You have a very, very particular slice <laughs> of the pie of Jewish friends then. Um, <laughs> but but it happens, you know, people do, you know, whatever your kids get un- involved in drugs and right, get over right, it. And, sure. But you don't write a tell-all memoir about it because it's so much about what the neighbors think of you. Sure. That's you your know? kid. That's a little, uh, what's, is this your real first name, Jillian? Uh, yes. So that's a little Jillian. And then, so they've got it for the rest of their life. They got to see uh, the Steins across the street, give them the stink eye. Yeah. Or not even the stink eye, just like judgment. gloat. They're so oh, excited. Like, oh, really? oh, we knew all along. Right. We've been hearing about that that's daughter right. of yours. Did you know ours is a doctor now? That kind of shit. Right. <laughs> Precisely. I know. Precisely. And there was also, you know, I, I really told the truth about a lot of things that went on in my home, which weren't all very rosy. And it wasn't what the book was about, but it was certainly a part it of my story. There. Right. And uh, and so, you know, I told the truth about it. And my parents were, were really upset well, about that. Well, let's do that. I, I know that, you know, this it just came out in paperback, the, the first book and the second one's about to come out. Um, the, second, that... the second book, Pretty, Pretty my novel. novel just came out last week. It did. Uh-huh. And then some girls came out. They're both paperback originals. And some girls came out last year. Right. So, well, now I'm fascinated. Now, was your dad, like, my dad's a doctor. Was your dad, you know, in- the- Stockbroker. Okay, so- That's really- one of three options. Doctor, stockbroker, lawyer. Right. And then the other Jews. That did- <laughs> <laughs> and you uh, you grew up in, in suburban New Jersey, mm-hmm. which is close to New York. So right. w- what what- what was the path? I mean, you decided to leave home or you didn't finish high school or you went to, oh, you, what, what happened? Okay. Well, um, sort of all of the above. Um, I, I was adopted at birth. Um, and from Jews? Adopted by Jews from non-Jews. Did you go find them? I did. You did? Yeah. And that's also in, in the book, in the first book. Yeah. Well, well, okay. Yeah. Well, so there's plenty of stories to tell. There's, there's, and plenty you live of down stories. the street. So if we don't get it all, you just come back over. I got a million of them, and I live right next to the best pizza in L.A. So is it really that good, though? It is Stop that it! Good. Yeah, you just uh, Cafe Bianco, right? Cafe Ca- Bianca. Casa Bianca. Casa Bianca. You're not a pizza lover, or you would know. Stop it! I lived in New York. I lived in Boston. I've been to Chicago. I've had pizza. How in, uh, can you live up the street from Casa Bianca and not even know? Because my say experience was, uh, I went there once or twice. It seems like a place that people bring their kids. It seems like to me the crust is not nice and thin. It's a little doughy. It's okay. It's like pizza parlor pizza. It's not like going to fucking um, John's on Sixth Avenue. It's not okay. Well, you gotta get the New York snobbery going on and the anti-child snobbery just because people's kids are there doesn't mean it's not good pizza it doesn't well, make it Chuck E. Cheese makes it close <laughs> I know about kid friendly restaurants I have nothing against kids <laughs> but I mean I'm, I'm just uh, I'm telling you that we have a point of contention on the okay, quality of that right. pizza I accept that all right so you think it's the best I think it's okay I'm not a big pizza eater I'm a you know I'm a, a closet anorexic so pizza it means hate to me right do you Got understand it. that? I understand. All right, so here yeah. you are, good Jewish girl, adopted, that you found your real parents. That's going to be a good story. Man, we got so much to talk about. And then you end up what? What happens? You leave well, home? Um, my my relationship with my father particularly was very complicated and uh, and somewhat abusive. And um, How? Well, my, my father is just a very controlling, emotionally, and physically abusive guy. So 
In general. So in there, general. There's that. So there, there it was. And uh, so I left home early. I graduated when I was 16. Early and angrily? Early and very angrily <laughs> with a very angry haircut. And Which one? Um, with the sort of shaved on the side. Just one thing. side or both? One side. Oh, yeah. I remember that one. My first yeah. girlfriend had that one. Not, yeah. not as yeah, attractive. Yeah, that just means angry. It just means I'm not even going to finish it. Yeah. <laughs> just furious. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also uh, wanted to be an actress. Uh, another big surprise. And so I left. I went to NYU. I went to NYU when I was 16 years old. I got uh, accepted early admission. And uh, I went there for about three minutes. And then I decided I was done. I'd learned everything I needed to learn from college. I was moving on with life. Which and- Were you in the, what program were you in? At, at Tisch at the Experimental Theater Wing, which is actually a wonderful program. Mm-hmm. and um, But, you know, I just was really uh, restless. I was just really a seeker, and I was sure that, you know, happiness was right around the corner. It were just you really, wasn't. You were looking for happiness? You felt like you were looking for happiness, or were you just looking for relief, or just looking to express yourself? I mean, I like, I'm 47, and, you know, people when people ask me, you know, are you happy? I'm like, is that, what, is that even an option? Is that something? I say the same thing. I've stopped looking for happiness now. I don't think it's an option anymore. I mean, certainly not in an all-encompassing way. Peace not of mind in a way. you can have. Yeah, I think you can have moments. Mm-hmm. You know, I think you can have uh, a level of acceptance. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that. But you think you were looking for happiness at 17? Yeah. I mean, I still thought that was possible. Hmm. You know, I thought certainly... With that haircut? <laughs> it was probably growing out by then, you know? Yeah. Because in order to get to the next part of my story, it would have to have been grown out because that's when I started working as a stripper. Now, didn't you do any theater in New York or anything? I did. I did a ton of theater in New York. Like I did what? some really wonderful theater. Um, well, I worked. I was an intern for the Worcester Group who are... Who the fuck was there then? What year was that? Amazing. What we, it was everyone then. Spalding Gray. Well, Spalding Willem, was Willem doing... It was, it was Willem. It was Liz. It was Kate Vaughn, who's still one of my favorite actresses of all time. Um, it was Ron Vodder was still alive and he was like a mentor of mine. So you were in like, you know, very sort of respected avant-garde New York culture and yes. you were you were you could have stayed in that. I, I mean, and you, I did stay in that. I mean in fact I performed in that. I was I was performing with Richard Foreman. Oh my God at the what was it called? The, the ontological Ont- I saw a Theater. couple of his shows. So yeah. there's like ninety people on stage with a million things going on. <laughs> Actually in the like, show I was in there were only three of us. But there was a lot going on. A lot going on. <laughs> yeah. There so were an assault. pieces of plexiglass hanging mm-hmm. in front of us. We were we were mic'd. There were bookshelves falling on our heads and string everywhere and did you get a sense of what was trying to be achieved at these places or you just wanted to be an actress I oh mean, no it wasn't that i want if i just wanted to be an actress i would have been yeah. like auditioning for right. commercials i mean i really felt like as an artist i responded to what was going on which was hard to comprehend but very exciting exciting and and just like spoke to whatever rhythmically I, yeah. I wanted to find in the theater. It and, was there. The music of it was there for me. And also it was very specific and special. Like, you, you know, that world of experimental theater is so fucking... If you go to a, well, a well-produced experimental theater piece, your mind gets blown and you walk yeah. out and you're like, I don't even know what happened. Exactly. <laughs> and, you know, I was really interested in evoking an emotional response in a way that wasn't manipulative and mm-hmm. wasn't obvious and wasn't you know bullshit like you go and see some Hollywood movie and or Broadway show or Broadway show and there's this big swell of violins and whatever and yeah. you're crying and right. you're like I'm crying but I fucking hate you yeah yeah you know? yeah because like, you made this you did this on purpose in a way that was was slimy right to sell me some shit yeah yeah yeah, yeah. you know so you're a very anti that I well you know I I participate in it 
It's not now. like I now I I do and then I did. I mean, it's not like I'm anti. Well, no, right. You got you got commercial. Eat. Sure, sure. Art. You, there's you know? nothing wrong with having a good time at a movie. Right. And also, I, I happen to be a big closet musical fan, although not so much a closet musical fan because it's it's all over the book about how I started musicals and I really do love musicals. Mm. And, um, so there you were, a little avant-garde uh, you know, rebel girl who was doing the experimental theater, but you like you liked musicals. Did you go see the Fantastics and shit? Um, when I was a kid, I did. I mean, <laughs> yeah. that was one of the things that really, I mean, my relationship with my father is very complicated. Mm-hmm. We were very close and he really introduced me to the theater and he used to take me into New York all the time to see the ballet, to see, you know, cats and a chorus sign and well, but, all I mean, that how stuff. inappropriate did it get? <laughs> like we're <laughs> you, you on these saying, dates? Yeah. <laughs> When I was eight, yeah, <laughs> I was like Mr. Mistopheles, and he's reaching over and feeling up my leg. No, uh, not at all. My father was not it was not sexually okay. inappropriate at all. Uh-huh. He was just a he's just kind of a bastard. Yeah, you know. Yeah, just How, kind so, of a here. Let's go to the ballet, but you're too fat to be a ballerina. Kind oh, of bastard. really? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Stop crying. Here's some ice cream. Right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> You had that dad too. No, I had a, a mom that was the opposite. It was like, uh, you think you really need that ice cream? Because I won't love you if you're fat. Nice. Yeah, it was, uh, Good. it was all out on the table. It was all very uh, honest. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So then what What the fuck happened to you? <laughs> well, uh, I said, I'm done with college. I'm moving on to life. After and a year. Experimental year. theater. Mm-hmm. And after a year, exactly. And my father said, great. Life costs money and you'll be back to college because I'm not giving you any more. And strangely enough, my job interning at the Worcester Group did not pay the rent in New York. Yeah. And uh, and I went with a friend of mine who was working at the Kit Kat Club at, at 56 and Broadway, which is now Flash Dancers. And uh, and I went, I was like, I'm going to be a cocktail waitress. Mm. Because I was actually already working on this Bleecker Street kind of bar, and I was a terrible cocktail waitress. And my friend said, you're a horrible waitress. Come where I work, they won't care yeah. that you're a horrible waitress. Right. And I went, and it was a drink hustle. Right. Right? Which is just so odious. More like, boobs, more drinks kind of thing? No, like, oh, I'll, uh, would you like a, you know, whatever drink you're drinking? You know, I would really love a pina colada. Can right. I? Will you order me one, and I'll oh, yeah. come sit down and talk to you? And I was like, "What? This is this is the worst. Like, yeah. I would rather be naked on that stage than have to sit here and talk to this fucker." You know? Yeah. So, um, uh, that's what I did. But I, I mean, what is the transition from that? I mean, you're you're a sophisticated person. You're smart. You're hanging out. You're watching Willem Dafoe. You know, you're excited about life. Well, I, I don't mean, know about sophisticated. Okay, I was I was bright, no doubt. Um. And I was, but I was like, like wild, you know, I was just like. So there was part of that punk rock sort of element of like, fuck it, man. You know, I'll, I'll yeah. objectify, I'll objectify myself because, you know, I'm doing it with an ironic detachment. Um, No, I mean, I don't even think I went that far. I was 17. Oh. You know, I was still Sorry, like. I just wanted to uh, impose a bunch of my thoughts <laughs> on what I thought you were. No, mm. you know, I mean, really, I was looking up on that stage and going, wow, like. I could maybe do that. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. and I, I came from a place of being, also having had eating disorder, of what being, kind? Uh, I was anorexic. Really? Uh-huh. For reals? What For age? reals, hospitalized. Really? Yeah. How old? 15. Really? Yeah. 
So you're like completely fucked up Jewish girl. I am a totally fucked up Jewish girl. <laughs> yeah, beyond cutter, anorexic, you name it. Cutter and no I sexual abuse. Um. Well, uh, I didn't say no sexual abuse. I said my dad never sexually abused me. Mm. Right. But you know, I had a relationship with a very much older man when, when I was were... eleven. Mm. That kind of thing. So you know, bordering. Mm-hmm. Um. I mean, not bordering sexual abuse. It is sexual abuse. It was a, a consensual situation. It, it's always very. It's it's complicated. Yeah. It's yeah. It, it is. It was. It was complicated. I. I mean, I was certainly sexually abused, but it was complicated. Right. But you were eleven. So I was eleven. I, I mean, I don't think consensual is really the. That's not. Oh, you're right. Legally, <laughs> that's not the word. It's not the word. Sounds a little you're Stockholm correct. syndrome. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> kind of a little. I actually of, use that in the book. Do. I talk about Stockholm syndrome in the book. Yeah. yeah. I do. Uh-huh. Um, but not for that situation. For another one. Uh-huh. But, yeah. Oh, good. Yeah, Which so, we're gonna get to. So you're wired for that, I guess. Uh, yeah. Well, oh, so aren't we all? Are we all wired for it? I think sympathy, that's the idea of it. The right? sympathy for the victimizer. I guess depends on how fun it is and you know how much they fuck your head. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I guess you're right. It's right there under the surface for us, uh, you know, <laughs> broken people. For all of us who are, you know, <laughs> looking for validation or love. Poorly or, parented. Yeah. And, poorly yeah. parented. Yeah. Yeah. People we, who didn't get do... enough love from yeah, my daddy and my mommy. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So you make the jump right. to the stage. So I got up on stage, and, and so uh, that was not was that full nudity? No. No. It was. It was a, a topless. Uh huh place and you know and and then it snowballed from there and um drugs no not quite yet i mean certainly you know drinking drugs a little bit here and there but it wasn't any sort of like Mm -hmm. major problem for me yet Mm -hmm. no you know all these opportunities just kind of well i met i was acting also and i wound up in this vampire film and i met uh, a young woman who said oh you are working far too hard at these strip clubs and you're going to ruin your knees and you need to come with me and work at this escort agency hmm. it's the best escort agency in new york and it's very glamorous and you'll mm. make a lot more money and you'll have a lot more time for your theater and now now were you telling the worcester group friends that you were stripping Yes, I was. And they all thought it was very, you know, cute and endearing. And it was the early 90s and it was sort of the Annie Sprinkle heyday. Empowered. Yeah. Exactly. Um, You know, Nina Harley, Annie Sprinkle. Were you thinking about those things? You said you weren't Um, really thinking about that. Not yet, but I was certainly introduced to all those women through my travels. And now, you know, many of them are friends of mine. Sure. Um, And uh, I I have a different perspective on it now, though. You you do? Yeah, I do. I didn't think it's an entirely empowering choice. Well, let's talk about that once we drag you through the mud of your story. All right, let's... (laughs) Um, So what happened was I started working at this escort agency. Now, you're a highly paid prostitute. That's correct, yeah. And you were were 18, 19? Um, I had just turned 18. Now, what were some of the highlights of that experience? Um. Well, one that I write about uh, is... How about one you didn't write about? <laughs> oh, God. I mean, what did I not write about? Well, there were... It's all just so typical. You know, the Japanese businessmen in mm-hmm. town from Tokyo who just want me and my friend to come and talk to them about how we're nurses and we live in this dorm where we have to give each other enemas. Yeah. And, and, then, and then in the nurse's dorm, everyone has to walk around for an hour naked. 
every... And you just tell them stories? <laughs> yeah. But does it lead to sex? No, not in this case. I mean, that was just That's one particularly bizarre one. Yeah. That's an easy gig, right? Yeah. And then there was the, the talk show host who was, was my first, you know, those talk Celebrity show hosts. You gotta, we've got to watch out for them. Mm. You really do. Yeah. Tell me about um, it. But uh, yeah, it's like a celebrity. I actually had to conceal the identity yeah. whole thing. Um, and uh, that was my a... first call. Was he known for this type of stuff? No. Uh-huh. And he didn't do anything particularly horrible to me just because he was a celebrity. I had to I had to conceal it when I wrote the book, you know. Yeah, so you wouldn't get in trouble. Yeah. Um, but no, I showed up and he he wanted to talk to me all about experimental theater, as a matter of fact. Huh. Yeah. So it was a little interview. <laughs> <laughs> he had this did whole you, like off-Broadway you, past, uh, you know, really? he was a real serious actor. He did, really wanted to impress that. Did he sit at a desk and me. have you sit at a chair and, and uh, did he? No, did, of course what? not. No, he stood at his bar next to his CD towers, uh-huh. you know, uh-huh. and those leather couches, uh-huh. very like 90s. Mm. And, uh, and then he says, like, there's something I want to show you. And he pulls me into the back of his apartment, and I was like, "Oh, please, do not let it be, you know, an antique set of surgical instruments." Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it was this whole walk-in closet, all lined with cowboy boots, the whole way around. Mm. And um, that was, you know, his prize. That, that was, was his thing. Yeah, it was his thing. Mm. And then did he, he wear a cowboy hat? He didn't wear a cowboy hat. No, just boots. Just like the boots. Yeah. Older guy. No. No, no, not. I mean, to me at that time, yeah. Still in the business? I don't think so. Hmm. No, are you trying to? You're trying to figure out who it is. Why wouldn't I? <laughs> I'll tell you after. Oh, that's. Uh... <laughs> All right, listeners, I'm going to learn the true identity of the cowboy boot guy. But neither one of those sound very horrible. No, there. You know, I mean, there were plenty of horrible things but i mean it's just exactly what you'd expect you know like the but were there ever the situations where okay so where you were you know you're doing this job so you really didn't know what you were walking into this is always a fascinating thing to me is is the strange and bizarre fucked up courage of people who work in that business to work and walk into these situations knowing full well that they you know could get the shit beaten out of them or they could get raped or they could get you know in any sort of problem and and they would not you know, have much traction legally because right. they're whores. Well, you know, it's interesting. Like, I, I talk about the woman who brought me into this, and she she's actually still my friend. Um, she's still in the racket. No, she's not. Uh, it's we, a young we reconnected. Game. No kidding. <laughs> Thank <laughs> in, in God. The, in the correct circumstances, it mm. is. Um, but uh, uh, you know, she was this fascinating creature to me, and there was so much in me that was was frightened you know i was i I used to have a little bit of ocd you know and i would just check the locks Mm -hmm. you know i felt so like trapped by that kind of fear you know check the locks 14 times Mm -hmm. and literally look under the bed for monsters for monsters yeah i get that okay i don't like going in swimming pools at night because i'm afraid of right sharks sure in, in the swimming, swimming pool. pools. Yeah, night. I have the only same thing. They, yeah. they only come out at night somehow. <laughs> night sharks. Yeah, I've heard of them. <laughs> I've seen them. You're yeah. right about yeah. those. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And, and she was fascinating to me because she was unafraid. You know? And she was the real I, deal. She was the real deal. And I just wanted to be like her. 
You know, so I sort of hitched my wagon to Mm. her star in a way and just went like, okay, I want this feeling, this feeling that like anything could happen right now. Anything, the worst thing, the best thing, you know, who knows? But I guess a lot of people like I I don't fully realize because I don't talk to a lot of people in in this um, who who are actively in the sex industry or, or were even, you know, it's not my wheelhouse necessarily, but there is a lot of control to it. I mean, you know, outside of the fact that you may get hurt or, or you may not um, want to do what you're asked to do, you know, when it all works, I mean, you're really in control on some level. Right. And that was the other thing that I liked about it was the power that I felt by not because I also am like a big mush, right? Yeah. Who I'm just like a big sensitive mush who was just getting hurt right and left by everyone and everything in the world. and uh, And here was this new me that I discovered that didn't feel a thing. Mm. You know, I was like, well, not only. You said that with such passion. It's sort of like, I finally reached my point where well, I that, it was It was remarkable, you know? It was like, it was ecstatic for me, The how powerful that felt. Of course, it wasn't until years later when I figured out, oh, wait, like, I can't flip that switch back on. Suddenly... I can't I you'd, can't you'd feel numb. anything. I can't feel I'm having sex with my boyfriend. I can't feel, you know, I I can't feel. You were able to shut all that shit down? I was. Just out of uh necessity? I um, mean, was there ever a sort No, of- what I found is that that switch was there to begin with, and I believe that that came from and this is why I I wrote about my history with my family, you know, that that it comes from abuse. A lot of time, and that's why, you know, how many, what percentage of women in the sex industry have been abused in one way or another? 98%, 99% probably? But, like, like, explain that switch to me a little bit, because out of, like, when you don't have the power to stop what's happening to you, something shuts down. Or what you find is, like, I call it the trap door, Uh you know? Like, you just open the trap door and leave, and what I felt like was I was leaving a hologram behind. No, I get that. You know, and I would just like go float around and go until they were done until they're done. Exactly. But what if you were required to uh, say things and you could Um, do all that and still go away? Yeah, because it. Yeah. I mean, it's not like, you know, I'm not. I don't have multiple personality disorder. I'm not like completely leaving my body. You know what I mean? There's this. um my brain is still. Yeah, because I guess I guess I'm trying to like in my own mind, just for my own interest trying to connect exactly because you know i i think that when people are abused sexually or when they're abused you know physically or whatever that because that relationship with somebody you trust or you're supposed to trust a lot of the times that you think that's the way it's supposed to be and that's how you get the attention one way or the other right and then you replicate that in right. your relationships but and... this uh, but the other thing seems more reasonable to me is like i can't stop this from happening i'm going to leave my body now right but then once you got into escorting, you had more control than that, but you still had that as almost a tool. Well, what I found was that I was very good at it. You know, I mean, that was the thing. At being an escort. I was very good at being an escort. I was very good at being a stripper because I had a couple things going for me. And one was was sort of the actress in me, which was, look at me, look at me, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So I enjoyed sort of playing these yeah. roles, mm-hmm. right? And like the movie of me in my mind that I was, you know, it was all very picturesque to me for a moment. And then there was, I could tell what people wanted me to be, mm-hmm. you know? Which, and, what was that list? Um. It just depended on who the person was. But I you mean, know, there had to I be could... some types. Like either you had to be dirty or childish or... or... Yeah, exactly. Like, I, I mean, there's certain things that like 
lent myself to more. And usually it's the people who want to be listened to. Like Isn't my that fucking niche? all of them? <laughs> no, that, the it's ones not. that aren't it, it seems to me that there's those those who are, are marginally abusive and those who are sad. <laughs> I'm more on the sad right. tip. <laughs> 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 uh, I mean, the abusers like me too. Don't yeah. get me wrong, but yeah. um, no. But you know, really, I attract that sort of customer, or did back in the day. I haven't done sex work in a very, very long time. Um, when did you get out? But, How old were you? Um, twenty five when okay. I got out. Yeah, I mean, there was a few little relapses <laughs> along you the way. You look at them as relapses? Um, well, not, not. Exactly. What but. is a relapse in that? It's sort of like, no, this guy's got a lot of money and he just wants you to put your butt in his face. That's kind of, yeah. I mean, <laughs> if I was super broke, yeah, you know, yeah. and whatever, working as a hair assistant mm-hmm. or whatever the hell, million things mm-hmm. I tried to do to get myself respectable, mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, do you want to just go and do this little, mm-hmm. They would, you know, these, well, all right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, well, but so how also did... not even that for a very long time. I mean, probably sure. 10 years. So. so, okay, so then you're doing this escort thing. But, like, what was there? A, 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 and I, I, I imagine it, that you may have written about it, but was there, before you got involved with what the, you know, the, the centerpiece of the book is, which is this harem situation? Right, like, we haven't even gotten to the. That's all right. <laughs> you know, were, were there moments the where you, you felt that you were in trouble? Um, Either no. physically, emotionally? Uh-uh. No, I mean, certainly physically, maybe, you know, but emotionally, I didn't I didn't get that until later. So how this harem opportunity arise? Well, the same woman who brought me into the escort work, my hero, was also an actress. And, uh, you know, we were a working actress. Well, you I mean, know, what do we got to yeah. throw that shit around for? Yeah, I was an actress, but yeah, we were both trying okay. to act, right? You know, so we were both it. going on auditions, right? And, uh, and she said, "There's this audition mm. for uh, to go and entertain rich businessmen in Singapore, which you know, granted, I did not think was a legitimate audition. But she said there are these hostess clubs in Singapore, and you dance and you sing, and there isn't even any sex involved. Were you a singer?" Ish, you know, a yeah, uh-huh. little bit of a singer. <laughs> um, I'm a singy, acty, dancey kind of mm-hmm, sure. gal. Whatever, whatever situation calls for. That's right. Song and dance person. I am. I'm a song and dance person it, from yeah. the old, from yeah, the old, old school, school. vaudevillian yeah. almost classic. <laughs> it's true. Start belting true. out tunes from South Pacific. And... I can do it. I bet. Don't tempt me. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll get all bally high on your ass okay. right here. Right. No, I won't. Hmm. Um, so I went to this audition and it turned out it was, you know, in a hotel room at the Ritz Carlton. It wasn't much of an audition. Right. Um, it was more just like, a, do you like foreign countries? Yeah. And will you stand over there and get in your underwear and let us take your picture, please? And uh, and that was not an issue, mu- obviously. You're just not, yeah. not an issue yeah. for me. And I didn't think much of it. And then I got a call a week later saying, actually, you got the role, and it's not a role. <laughs> and uh, surprise, there's no role. And we'd like you to come and be the personal guest of the Prince of Brunei. Mm-hmm. Who uh, the Prince of Brunei was at the time? He was the brother of the Sultan of Brunei, who was the richest man in the world mm. at that time. Did the money appeal to you? 
The money did appeal to me. I mean, it sounded like this astronomical amount of money. They said, you'll, you'll make $20,000 in two weeks. What? Yeah. I mean, I was making, you know, not a lot. But but was the, was the idea of hanging out with the richest man in the world appealing? Sure, the whole thing sounded like this grand adventure. If, in fact, that was what was really going to happen. You know, I, I also was worried that that it was a ruse of some sort and that, no, I was going to be, you know, wind a, up in some slavery. third world brothel on a that could have bare mattress yeah. somewhere addicted right. to heroin mm. in yeah. Bangladesh. Mm. Um, so you knew that was a possibility, but that yeah. didn't stop you. What comforted you into thinking that it wasn't that? Well, I had an instinct about the woman who hired me. Mm-hmm. And I, I just trusted her. I had a good feeling about her. And I... I think that instinct has saved me a lot of times. I was correct. Mm-hmm. I mean, she really was a trustworthy person. It was a legitimately high-paying prostitution job. Yes. and <laughs> not, yeah. a, not, a, not a ruse for a low-paying, right. horrendous, deadly situation. Right, right. And, I mean, it wasn't even necessarily a prostitution job. I mean, you know, there, there were women there who weren't sleeping with anybody, mm. who were just sort of couch decorations. Mm-hmm. Um, so these guys would just pay to have people. Well, that happens now, even. Yeah, yeah, sure. They, there were these parties yeah. every night, and they would be for the prince. And so you, you got know. there though. It's like opulent private jet. How did you get there? Um, we flew. We flew business class on Singapore Airlines, which mm. is lovely. I don't know if you've ever flown Singapore Airlines, but Mm-mm. it's a wonderful airline. Yeah. And uh, I, you know, I don't think I'd ever flown business class. It was I mean, all very shishi to me. I'm sure they're very thrilled about the commercial we just did for them. If you're <laughs> flying high price escorts <laughs> to Singapore, please fly Singapore Airlines. The lovely business class. They actually I'm sponsored by them. I don't know if you caught that. Um, I was trying to be subtle about it, but... <laughs> very good. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I, I wound up, we stayed the night in Singapore then. And, uh, and, you know, I just remember standing on the balcony. We stayed at the tallest hotel in the world. And um, I remember just standing on the balcony at, you know, four in the morning. And the light in that part of the world is so gorgeous. Yeah, everything's and, flat. It's desert, right? Um, no, it's, it's the rainforest. Oh, really? Yeah. So that's how much I know. Yeah, but it's just Southeast Asia and something about the light is really magical. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and I just remember thinking, like, this is this is what I've been waiting for, you know. Like, this is the way I've been waiting to feel. Like, there's yeah. something really grand uh, ahead of and me and far away from New Jersey. Yeah, and far from New Jersey, and it was, you know, it was grand, and it was far from New Jersey, and uh, you know, and it was also sad and. You know, boring and a million other things, too. How long were you there? Uh, back and forth for a year and a half. Back and forth? Yes. I, I went, I, I came back to New York for but about six months. But you get there, how many girls there. are there with you? Um, well, there were only five America. Uh, well, let's see. One, it's been a little while since I talked about this. Maybe four American girls. It was one of the first American girls over there. And no one was and there, there against were, their will? No. Not that I know of, but I didn't... A lot of the Southeast Asian girls didn't speak very much English. And what was nor ex- would they have necessarily told me if they were there against their will. But I don't think so. Yeah. Everyone was pretty grateful to be there. And what was expected of you? Um, well, it, that was sort of touch and go. You know, it was different for every person who was there. I, you know, it's what was definitely expected was that you showed up at these parties every night. 
And the parties would go from 10 o'clock at night till 4 o'clock in Did the morning. Did you have barracks? Was, there a, is, was it like um, camp? Well, the a lot of the girls stayed at sort of barracks, and I stayed in the palace. So this was... How'd you get that? Because <laughs> the Western girls stayed at the palace. Mm. Yeah. There was this whole hierarchy, which was really interesting. And a lot of what I wrote about in some girls was the the class and race issues over there. But like, could you guys get up in the middle of the night and go to the kitchen, eat out of the fridge? Um, in our guest house, we could. Yeah. yeah. There were eight guest houses Did on they the get property. you whatever you wanted? Yes. We had servants that would bring us anything from the main house. The, we were on the grounds of this palace. It was this huge compound. How many dudes did you have to sleep with? Not, I mean, one. The prince? Yeah, just the prince. The main guy. The main guy. The richest the guy. guy in the world. <laughs> well, the sultan was the richest guy in the world. Oh, I slept with him, too, actually. So it was two. <laughs> yeah. But but predominantly just with the now prince. I mean, I became, that was the whole sort of story, is that I kind of ascended the ranks there and became the prince's second girlfriend. Like his second favorite girlfriend. It, it, aside from the one that wasn't paid to be a girlfriend? We're all, they're all paid. So none, are Everyone's these guys married paid. too? Yeah. Well, he, the prince was married three times. Mm. And then he had all these girlfriends. And sort of four main ones. Um, and I was the in second. the top two. I know people are like, is that good? Yeah. But don't, is but it did good you to get, be the second? But yeah, it was. But were you emotionally good. attached? I was. I really would have told you at the time that I was in love with him. So that's why you went back. It was no longer just a job. Yes. I mean, like, if you're right. going back and forth for a year and a half, it's not like, you know, I got to get out of this or I feel no, bad about myself. No, absolutely not. Yeah. I, I really thought I was in love with the guy. I mean, okay. I knew that was weird and but sort of twisted, you, but... But did you also know that there was no way he was going to look at you like that? Um, well, I guess I thought that as far as he was able to... You know, or within his context, culturally and emotionally, um, that he did. You know, I thought he felt as much for me as he could. So how did it end? Um, well, when I left the first time... Did he ever ask you to have his children? No, but that's not something he would ask. Either you... I mean, he would happily impregnate anybody. He mm. had like 50 kids. I mean, but... That was something I didn't want because that's really, I mean, you're really giving up your freedom forever. Yeah, big payday. And that, yeah, great. You know, for but, what? Well, I don't know. You're, you're, you're talking as somebody who was there, you know, doing that for money. Right. But I get to go home and like have a life and have a, a date with a real guy. Oh, how did those a, go? You know, Where'd and you, have how, a how career. Did those, how, <laughs> how did those dates go when you told them where you've been for three months? You know, I, I, well, <laughs> there was, there, I've had really good luck. I've had really great boyfriends. I mean, I, but how I many of them could live with that once you were honest with them and still involved in it? Well, I wasn't still involved in it as okay. far as I knew. I didn't think I was going back, you know, when, so I, I came home and I met this guy, his name was Andy and, uh, and I moved in with him and I was like, I'm through with that whole life. But how were you? Uh, but uh, what about this detachment element? I mean, were you connecting with Andy well, I sexually? Thought, and yeah, and you know, I thought so. I thought so, and then I I really had to look at that a little harder. Because you were just acting. 
I wasn't acting. I mean, also to the best of my ability, I was sure. connecting with him. But, um, you know, from what I know now, I think I was pretty uh, warped. You know, hmm. my capacity for emotional connection was not. A little fucked up from yeah. being a, a member of a paid harem. <laughs> being in a harem from <laughs> probably from a million things, you know, but mostly from just hating my body and hating myself. I mean, how, how do you go from that to really so you just saw be that able as to love a, someone else? Right. You saw that as a, like as more of a symptom on an arc of, of I wouldn't, symptoms. I didn't really know that I hated my but body retro- and hated myself. Oh, really? But I mean, feel- I did, but I thought, you know, huh. that it was just because something little needed to change. Like, yeah. I hate my body, but that's because I need to lose 10 pounds. Sure. Not where, did, because where the fuck does that come from? Um, have you figured it out? Because, like, you know, I, I you know, I, I, uh, I have bo- uh, the body image uh, issues of a woman, and I don't quite. I know exactly where mine came from because I could not. And it sounds like yours is the same. That your old man would bust yeah. you on it, right? That you were well, never accepted. And, uh, yeah, I was never. I was never good enough. Yeah. I was never yeah. pretty enough. I was never thin enough. Yeah. And also, um, you know, mine came from that I had wanted to be a dancer, uh. and you know, from just my father and whoever being like you're too fat so let's get to act three what how'd the shit hit the fan uh with the prince with all of it well i mean you know obviously you transcend enough of this shit to write a book about and get your shit together and have a life and live down the street from me with a child and a husband yeah i know i'm like a suburban mom Mm. now um the new version yeah (laughs) 2.0 suburban mom um how did the shit hit the fan? Let's see. There were a lot of years in between the end of the memoir and now that I didn't necessarily get into. You know, I had some struggles with substance abuse and. But like, OK, so OK, so this ends like, you know, but how, how specifically did the relationship with the prince end? You just the relationship did- with the prince. What happened was I left for nine and I said, I'm through. I'm not coming back. Uh, and then I changed my mind and I called and begged to go back and they brought me back. Um, because what you're living back in the real world was too much of a mind fuck and it was so much easier to yes. be in that situation precisely yeah you got it mm-hmm. <laughs> most people are like why would you ever go back what? I mean, um, like, there's money there's was, food there's servants and you know, it was so simple and I was successful yeah. and you know I all I had to do there and you was, liked the guy and I liked the guy and I didn't have to face really what it was going to be like to try to pursue my goals or reje- rejection period yeah from men, from career goals, from yeah. parents, from everything else. Yeah, exactly. It was, like, it was like the Magic Kingdom. Right. So I went back. Um, but when I went back, things just mm. weren't the same between us. Why? What happened? New girl? You were number four? Um, <laughs> you know, probably lower. I mean, I don't even know that I ranked up at the top. But you no, know, just no one leaves him. You don't leave. You don't leave and then get to come so back. You, so are you telling me like now, what, however many years later, there's some old harem girls that are still hanging around? What are they, servants now? No. What, how do they... <laughs> How do you evolve out of that? No, there's no there's no harem now because he um, embezzled like nine billion dollars from his brother. Uh huh. From the whole country, and because uh, you know he was the minister of finance, and basically, I mean, the family's so money. So was he put into some weird witness protection program? So no, now- they de- they deported him. And then I guess he was just recently let back in the country. But I mean, he there was a warrant and like a. Did you guys stay in touch? No. No, Seriously. not after I left. No, I never have spoken to him. Did he try? Did he try? No. Huh. No. 
but I was contacted by one of his wives. <laughs> oh, yeah? Yeah, and the book is banned in Brunei, so hmm. they do What'd know the about say? it. Oh, you know, you should be ashamed of yourself. How could you about the do book? this to people who treated you so well? Oh, when the book came yeah. out. Yeah, yeah. So after the book came out, one of the wives. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, just this whole, you should be ashamed of yourself, you know? And, and you I'm said, like, yeah, I was, that's why I wrote the book. Now I'm not. <laughs> you know, and it's just, how could you do this to people who treated you well? And like, as if my goal, as if it had anything to do with them at all. So, okay, you know? so, so you write this book uh, about this experience. And that book is the one we're talking about, which is Some Girls. Right. Some and, Girls, My Life And this hair. came out when? A year ago. So just a year ago, mm-hmm. but this the events took place in the early '90s. Eighteen mid- years ago, yes. Mm-hmm. So why did it take so long to write this book? Well, uh, you know, I really was trying to not write this book for a but long I mean, time. Yeah, but what, because what, what, I I wanted to be taken, you know, seriously as a literary writer. But, but, but wait, but when did that all that happen? So you were what? How how old were you when this all all this shit ended? Twenty. All right, so you're 20, so like the book really wasn't in your mind yet, necessarily, right? No, but you know, one of the what things that I actually took away from Brunei, um, other than the money, was I really started writing there, seriously, because I had these days that were just, you know, empty, and I started to write like what I saw around me and not just write these journal entries that are like, you know, you know Sean is cute and... right. Well, yeah. whatever. Um, I had to suck the prince's dick again today. Wasn't as bad <laughs> as yesterday. <laughs> no, I mean, like what people were wearing and what the girls right. were saying, and right. what, you know, I started to like learn how to to take diligent notes. Well, that's good. Um, which is something that still serves me today. It's still a habit I have. To I'm going to go home and start taking notes about about this. This. But what about the? So how did that that period of, of floundering and self examination? post this time in your life i mean you said you got into substance abuse right. you know career wise where were you i mean yeah because i mean it, you you must have had some sort of emotional upheaval right sure i mean what happened was uh i had a, a terrible substance abuse problem you know had that whole story that whole downward spiral i had to get sober and uh and then that was when i really started being able to uh, apply some discipline to my writing and and But to what my about life. to your i mean what when you got sober like how much grief how much shame were you up against <sighs> Um you know the well of shame but was like what, a no, deep one but you, it, it wasn't uh i would say that it wasn't limited to just the sex industry i mean the the sort of damage that i did when i was loaded was um you know to to the people who loved me and to you know and to myself what were your parents doing when you were running back and forth did they know what you were up to they knew that i was in brunei they knew um you know that i was a nanny or a personal assistant of some sort and then i said oh and i'm having a relationship with my employer um, so that's how you framed it. That's how I framed it. Mm. You know, my dad's not stupid. Mm-hmm. Um, when I when I talked to them about the book coming out, he was like, "What? Like, I didn't think you were a diplomat." You know, we knew. So, so they knew. And now, when you told them about the book, did they read the book? Um, well, what I did was I told them everything that was in the book about six months before it came out. Yeah, I actually went and sat down with them with a New York 
therapist and said... You had a mediator? I did. I had a mediator. And I said, here is everything that's in the, this book that's going to be coming out. I just want you to be prepared. Everything, period, or everything, everything about you? period. About them. No, this, period. This is and, everything. And was some of that new to them? Um, You know, very little of it was new to them but the fact that it was all going to be coming out in a book they had known that I was writing a book they had known that it was a memoir um, the stuff about them that was in it I think is the stuff that's most disturbing to them and and when how, how did you first have the conversations about them and why did you have the conversations with them uh, when you told them that, what you had done was that part of your sobriety um, no, you know, it was just sort of, what are you doing, like, for those six months that but you're what, okay, overseas? So, I mean, it was during that time. And how did they react to you saying that you were basically a concubine of some sort? Um, you know, I, I think that they were concerned and they were um, also in some sort of denial. And then I had all this money. Mm. And, you know, it was like speaking so my dad's language there. So there was know? some party like, well, was it worth it? And, it? and he was able to say like, well, that's not bad. Yeah, like, you're not bad. Was that's it, a lot of money. <laughs> was there any part of him, yeah. them, that was sort of like, oh, she's adopted? Uh, oh, that's <laughs> a really excellent question. <laughs> um, this is not our blood. Ah, uh, that's a really, really complicated question. And, uh... uh Maybe I suspect that somewhere in their minds there's a little bit of that sometimes. Um, you know, and I'm also an adoptive mom. It's, it's very hard for me to sort of talk about. Um, and it's a complex thing. And I think that I, I was their child, you know. No, there of was course. No but, doubt. I, I just, but I think that, that there's part of them that maybe does hang on to that a little bit. Well, I mean, from your position now as a woman who adopted... You must have some of those concerns uh, uh, in terms of like w what's the the genetic history of this uh, person or uh, no really because my brother has three adopted kids yeah oh really mm -hmm. uh, domestic adoptions uh -huh. or I mean they were actually there for the births wow. and stuff and you know a couple of them you know one of them's a little kooky and yeah, you know, sure. and, 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 and but uh -huh. you can but they know the parents yeah like of of all of their children mm -hmm. and and they sort of knew what they were getting into um but there's there I, but i just i mean that's another yeah, issue i mean there's you know i think that this idea that like somehow like our genetics like we can control that like if it comes from my genes then i can be sure it's going to be okay or well no not like, okay I mean, i'm pretty sure it wouldn't be okay that's coming right from my that's genes. right but yeah but um you know, I, I just, it's just not about that. No, of like course it's, not. It's of not, course it's not. It's not but about I mean, that. Like, I, I just don't, I don't think of my son in that way. Right, of course. Um, uh, no, but I'm saying that, like, you know, there are certain things that they know are genetically influenced. You know, alcoholism, right. depression, sure. uh, you yeah. know, uh, certain diseases. So, I mean, you kind of want to know that stuff. So, right. when it comes to behavior, I have to assume there's got to be part of a parent that's sort of like, wow, we didn't know where we got her. And also, certainly from that generation. Right, that's what I mean. Yeah. Now, did you, but you say you found your parents. Your real parents. My birth parents, I, I did. I found both of them. My birth mother what I'm still in that? contact how, with. What, what, was, what drove you to do that, and, and, um, and how did you do it? It's sort of the end. It's the, actually the end of some girls. Is uh -huh. uh, You know, I used some of that money that I got in Brunei, and I hired a private investigator to, to find my birth mother. And it was very important to me. Like this, There was this way that I just felt like I had been dropped out of the sky. And um, that... 
also with adoption in that generation, there's this whole like nothing existed before, you know, you're our child, nothing existed before. There's no, oh, that, like that generation whole, where they, you know, yeah, there's right. this negation of the that's story. very not in fashion now. It's, it's not, not in fashion now, no. You give the kid the choice. Yeah, and also, and like, I just, I've preserved every bit of my son's story that yeah, I have right, for him. Sure. You know, because it's his story. It's not mine. And what was your story? Um, well, uh, my birth mother was a dancer, and my birth father was an actor. Get out. <laughs> uh-huh. I know. Yeah. And, uh, and, and they met here, and, and fell in love in this, like, regional theater production in Florida, and he followed her back to Chicago, uh, and she got pregnant, and from then, uh, the story kind of gets fuzzy. But it was before Roe versus Wade. It was like there was like the six. They months. weren't married, and they, they weren't married. Right. Um, and uh, and there was sort of this gray market adoption that happened. You know, through a lawyer. There was money exchange, and also very common at that time. And you're in contact with your mother. Yes. So I you you're like, guess what? Mother. I'm the child you gave up for adoption. Here's the book about me being a hooker. Book. Wow, it was such a hard conversation. <laughs> I'll tell you, that was a harder conversation than the one I had with my parents with a therapist in New York. <laughs> Maybe you, know? you should have kept me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, she was really remarkable. I mean, she's been incredibly generous, and she's a very bright woman. Uh-huh. And, um, and and she, you know, we had an honest conversation about it. And I told her I was like, you know, you might be very uncomfortable with some of the things in this book. I'd like you to hear it from me that it's coming out. I don't want you to just like come across it. You know, I said, you might not want to read it. If you do read it, that's certainly your prerogative. If you do and you want to talk to me about it, I'm here to talk about it. And she read it and she said that, you know, it was hard for her to read, but that she decided ultimately was more important for her to know me than to like be uncomfortable and put the book down. So, uh, yeah. so she was happy you found her. Yeah, huh. she was. Um, and she's been really appropriate and available. And I, I don't have a that close of a relationship with her. You know, it's it's very casual now, and sort are of you, sporadic. But are you and your parents not talking? We are not talking. We haven't spoken since the very first article came out about the book in the New York Post last. A year ago, how January. Does that, how does that make you feel? Oh, it's sad. It's really sad. But, you know, like I was saying to a friend the other day, you know, I, there was so much stuff I was afraid of publishing this memoir. Um, and when I wrote it, I wrote it as if no one was ever going to read it, which I think is the only way to write a book like this. Um, otherwise, um, you know, you just are going to lie. So I just wrote it as if no one was ever going to read it. And... Uh, and then there was a ton of stuff I was afraid of, and it all happened. Every bit of it happened, and it was great. It's been great. I mean, for the most part, it's been such an amazing experience publishing this book. And, um, you know, and, and it's really sad that my parents can't can't get behind who I am. Have because, you tried? Uh, well, my mother told me that she did not want to have any more contact with me. So I sort of feel like it's her. It's The ball's in her court now. Um and, uh, and you know, she asked me to keep my distance, so I have. How long has it been? A year and a half. Um, but, you know... They never met their grandkid? They have. They have met him. That's the sad part, is that they were really in his life for the first year 
that he was here with us. And and then they've sort of disappeared. So like he they're all in the first, you know, yeah, photo pictures, album. Yeah, yeah. And so I'm not sure how I'm gonna explain that, but they'll come I'll, back around. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I'm super. <laughs> I'm really great. <laughs> you know, and I'm and I'm a great daughter and I'm a great person and I'm a good communicator and I think they will. I they're certainly um they're entitled to have their feelings about this. It's not an easy thing. And, uh, you know, I can't control what the reaction is going to be. And I, and I understand it, too. I understand that they're hurt by it, and I understand that they're angry. Yeah. So how did you um, end up with, uh, with Weezer? <laughs> I'm not with Weezer. Um, I am with Scott Schreiner. He's the bass player for Weezer. And how did I end up with him? I met him um, almost 10 years ago now. Bowling. Mm. I met him at a bowling party, Aww. and he was real cute. Mm. And uh, and he was not very nice to me. Oh, perfect. Yeah, it was perfect. <laughs> <laughs> and my friend said, "That is the nicest guy in all of Los Angeles." I have no idea why he's being such a cock. Mm. And uh, and it turned out it was because he didn't like it when girls showed up at dudes' bowling night because he thought. They ruined the whole thing. They caused trouble. That was a bowling issue. It, had it was nothing a bowling to... issue. Oh, good. Well, I'm glad you kept past the bowling and issue. And you know what? It was true. I totally messed up dude's bowling night. It does not happen anymore. Hmm. Oh, really? Yeah. There's no bowling in his There's wife now? No, no bowling. He's like teaching our son to roll balls down the There's driveway. bowling alley down the street. I know, but... Uh, He's, uh, we can't, we can't, my kid cannot have like large balls, yeah. heavy balls he? and be around other people. How old is the kid? He's three and a half and oh. he's just, uh, he's awfully rambunctious. Oh, yeah. Got to make yeah. sure it's not heavy and big. He can hurt himself or others. Others yeah. more. Yeah. <laughs> That's cute. Where, now where, did you do a domestic adoption? No, international. Uh, my son was adopted from Ethiopia. Ooh. Yeah. Pretty exotic. It was amazing. Yeah. Ethiopia. I never heard that one. Yeah. It's a great place to adopt from. Yeah. Uh, it's it's a little more complicated now. We sort of got in under the wire when it was a little bit of a new program. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a wonderful place to adopt from because their caregiving style there is very highly attached. So the kids get tons of love. Oh, that's good. Know? So yeah. let's talk like in, in terms of um, the new book, Pretty, uh-huh. which is a novel. Yep. Which is your first novel. It is my first novel. Was that more difficult to write? It was actually written first. And they were both equally hard to write. They both sucked to write. Well, how did you learn? To, I mean, at some point, did you go to, you went to school to? I did. I got, I got my master's in creative writing. Um, Where? At Antioch. That's a, what, a two-year program? It's a two-year program. That's, yeah. I've heard of this. Yeah. And, and so you, like, it, you were doing odd jobs, doing drugs, you got sober, you got your shit together, and you went and got your master's at what age? Um, 30? Uh-huh. Yeah. Or, no, older, 32, probably, when I got my master's, when I started. Uh-huh. Um, but, you know, I was always writing. Uh-huh. I just, it, it just took me getting sober to be able to actually, like, write a book. Which mm. is, you know, it's hard to overcome the fear and get in it. I got a yeah. book to write, and I've been avoiding it. It's hard. I've got it's a, real hard. It just I wrote takes, one book, yeah, and then like it was years ago. The, the weird thing about writing is that I mean, you, you obviously did all right for yourself, but there's not a lot of money in it initially. No, and uh, there might not forever be money. necessarily. Yeah, yeah. You, you better love it. 
It's nice God, to have I love it out it. there. I mean, I don't know that I love it. Uh, you know, I always say that it's people thing, who, yeah, it's my thing. Doing That's the right. thing is, you know, it's, I mean, it's one of my things. I also uh. perform, you know, but. We're doing what? Um, well, like I, I just did a one woman show uh, and I do a lot of storytelling. So we're doing a show together. We are. We're doing a storytelling show together. I'm looking is, forward to it. It'd be fun. What are you going to tell your story about? Uh, what's the subject again? I don't I, remember. Is there a subject? There is. It's like a, a apologies or oh, shit. <laughs> really? I don't know. I don't know. I don't have my story yet. Apologies. That's every day with yeah. me. I'm always apologizing. But I mean, I I love doing live storytelling and and that sort of performative stuff. But it's it's all kind of the same thing for me. It's all storytelling. Yeah. What's the What's the novel about? Um, the novel is about a young woman who survives a terrible car accident. And is in Los Angeles. She's partially disfigured. She's living at a halfway house in recovery and attending beauty college. And just trying to you know, piece her life back together. So it's funny. Yeah. It's sad. Sounds hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> beauty school's funny. Did beauty you go to beauty funny. school? I did. Holy shit. You did a lot of weird things. Beauty school. a lot school. of weird things. Well, I started writing the book when I was in beauty school. Oh, this is one of the other things I want to talk about. How how did you re- reevaluate um, the idea of sex work and that sort of de-objectifying uh, feminism? How how do you reevaluate that now? Like, I mean, do, do you still right? So, should, like, more like sex positive feminism? Yeah, yeah. Or, I mean, okay. Well, you said that you have different thoughts. I about... do. Um, you know, I really when I was. In the sex industry, I I had this very sort of Pollyanna take on it, and you know it, it's this empowering thing, and I think it can be, um, or there are certain aspects of it that are, and I I do think that it helped me through a difficult time in my life, and then it's certainly you know given me a lot of stories to tell, and I'm yeah. a storyteller, um, but I don't think ultimately that when I I had those opinions that I knew what the long-term effects were going to be when I knew that I knew you know what it was going to be like to try and be in a 10-year relationship you know with with a man with a partner who I want to share my life with and what it was going to be like to try and be present in my body for that when I never learned to be present in my body Mm -hmm. I learned how to not be present in my body that's what I'm good at and um so you know, I think that anything that you have to really shut off a part of yourself in order to do uh, is not ultimately going to be good for your emotional growth and who you are as a person. Uh, it certainly wasn't for me. And I, I don't See, recommend so, it. Well, that's to interesting people. because that's sort of the. That sort of explains a kind of like a stripper comedian connection because in order to be funny, you know, which is what I do, you know, and what I've done my whole life, you definitely, you can't go up there and cry now, can you? Right. <laughs> I don't think right. you could cry if you're on an escort call unless it was called for. Yeah. I, you know, no one wants, no one wants the hooker to cry. You just <laughs> want her to leave, right? <laughs> Just leave. Were you ever the crying hooker? No, God, no, no. I was a lot the crying girlfriend, though. Oh, yeah? Yeah. You're probably a good crying girlfriend. Yeah. <laughs> but you guys are good now? We're good. We're great. That's yeah. awesome. We seem pretty yeah. uh, pretty good. You feel like we're we did? Good. You think we did it? Did we do enough? I think we did it. I wish we knew what we were going to be talking about, that storytelling thing. Apologizing, huh? It's, um... 
regrets, apologies, regrets, regrets something, yeah. begging. What's your for, biggest regret? Oh, God. Uh, my biggest regret? Ah, um, oh, it's a little bit pathetic, but... I guess my biggest regret is that I left New York before I really gave myself a, a chance as a performer. Mm. You know, that I just kind of like walked out on that dream when I was so young and things were going really well for me in that way. And, um, you know, it was like rather than find out whether I was going to fail or succeed, I just walked away. And I regret that. It's come around, though. Looks yeah. like you're doing it now. I am. So, you know. It's... And were you part of the uh, that like uh, groovy burlesque scene for a while as well? I was. I was a dancer with a velvet hammer. Oh, I remember them. Yeah. Weren't there comics involved in that? Yeah. Craig, Craig Anton. Uh-huh. Yeah. Blaine Capatch. And Blaine, right. Mm. Yeah. Well, good luck with everything. Thank you. How was the iced coffee? You know, it was remarkable. Great iced coffee. Thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. Okay, that's our show. That was interesting, was it not? Um, what else? Thank you for listening. Go to WTFPod.com. Look at the episode guide if you're curious who's been on. Pick up an app for the iPhone, iPod, Touch, iPad, Droid, uh, your computer. Do you know, Buy some episodes. Kick in a few shekels. Go to the merch section. There's still some coot posters left. There's a bunch of new stuff for the holidays. Tote bags. My new CDs up there. Do it. It's good stuff. Get some JustCoffee.coop. Yeah, why not? And if you want to go see my friend Matt Graham, that's Thursday, 7.30 p.m., 78 Fifth Avenue, 10th floor, Kimball Studio. I don't know what's going to happen up there, but uh, it'll be intense. That I do know. Boomer. Boomy. Come on, man. Let's do this. Boomer. Come here, Boomy. You know, I get that cat to do that once, and I can't seem to get him to do it again. I just, I, oh. all right, I'll talk to you later.